Okay, well, welcome tonight to River Church. We welcome you to our Wednesday night message. And Pastor Michael and Miss Deborah are out of town tonight, so they asked me to bring the message tonight. So if you would, if you would turn to your, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15. That's where we're going to start tonight. I was thinking earlier how the Bible is just so cool because it never gets outdated. You know, it's like I teach classes, and so for all of my classes, I have to choose textbooks. And I might use the same textbook for a couple of years or three years or so, but eventually that textbook is kind of out of date because technology changes, communication changes, and so then I have to go look for a new textbook. But it's, I think, amazing that the Bible is never outdated, you know? And it's, it is always sharper than any two-edged sword, yes. penetrating to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And one version says, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, the oldest biblical text that we've been able to find so far is thought to be 2,700 years old. 2,700 years old, yeah. And it was the first book actually printed on the movable type printing press in 1455. So it's like we have been using the Bible for all these years, and it still is relevant to our lives. That's amazing. Cool. Well, before we actually read 1 Samuel 15 tonight, I want to talk for just a minute about the Amalekites. Now, there may be things that I have to read tonight that I don't really know how to pronounce, so I'm just going to tell you that I might not be doing it right. There was, this, there was a, a wonderful elderly gentleman in my grandfather's church when I was young, and he grew up at a time when kids were more likely to go to work than they were to finish school. So he taught himself to read. And whenever he was reading aloud in church and he ran up on a word he didn't know, he would just say, wheelbarrow. <laughs> That was just the sweetest thing. <laughs> he would just be reading along and go, wheelbarrow, and then he would keep going. So I'm not going to say wheelbarrow, but, you know, I might just massacre something tonight anyway. <clears throat> but the Amalekites, um, they're the descendants of Amalek. And Amalek was the 13th son of Esau. Remember, Jacob and Esau were twins. And so Esau had, apparently had a whole bunch of kids. And the 13th son was actually named um, was Amalek. And so the Amalekites were the persistent enemies of the Israelites. It's like every generation they were persecuting the, and trying to get rid of the Israelites. They wanted to kill the Jews. And the question is, why? And it's interesting because the Bible told us that Jesus would come into the world through Jacob's line. That's what the Bible said. In Genesis 25, 23, it said, And the Lord said unto her, and this was to Rachel, the mother, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. Must have been interesting to know you have twins and that they're basically going to be fighting against each other in their lives. So we knew that God, his whole purpose in the Old Testament right after Adam and Eve fell was we've got to get Jesus into the earth. And so that's what he was working to do. So we have these two sons, and Jacob obviously was serving God, and Esau was kind of the other way. 
And so that kind of sets up this battle between the Israelites and the Jewish people and the Amalekites. So I'm going to start reading here in 1 Samuel 15, 1. And remember we have Saul, who has been chosen as the first king of Israel. And Samuel was the prophet at the time. Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. And remember, back in the Old Testament, the king had power, but he wasn't actually the spiritual leader. He didn't actually hear from God. He listened to the prophet who heard from God. It was different than, than what we have now. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way, while he was coming up from Egypt. Now what this refers to is that while the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, the Amalekites attacked them. Um, remember that the one in part in the Bible where um, Moses had to hold up his arm and somebody had to support his arm? Well, they were fighting the Amalekites. And so God really held that against them that they did that. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So that was a pretty exhaustive list right there. You know, God pretty much said, just wipe everything out. Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. So that would, by my thinking, that's 210,000 men. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, now these, they, the Amalekites would often have, um, make allies with other groups to fight the Jews, the Israelites. And so basically here, Saul is speaking to somebody who is allied with the Amalekites. He says, go, depart down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the Amalekites. I'm thinking their whole alliance just kind of fell apart right there when Saul said, you either leave or we're going to kill you with everybody else. And they said, bye. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So we're going to keep this good stuff, right? We're going to get rid of the other stuff. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, because Samuel wasn't at the battle. But God told him what had happened. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul 
And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Pretty happy with himself. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, something's given away that maybe you didn't quite follow what he said to do. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. So we kept some for a sacrifice. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now this is pretty serious right here, right? Basically, he didn't do exactly what God asked him to, so God said, I'm taking away the kingdom from you. And then Saul seems to have come to his senses and said, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, and this is Saul, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag come to, came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. So Samuel just did what Saul didn't do, right? 
Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is, I've always found this to be a really sad story because Saul knew what he was supposed to do, but he just didn't carry it all the way through. But in his mind, he thought he had, right? And he's like, I, we did it. We got rid of him. Even though we kept their king and we kept the ox and we kept the sheep and we did all these other things, but we're going to need a sacrifice with those things. And somehow that justified it. So failing to follow God's instructions cost Saul his kingdom and his access to God's will and instructions because in doing this, he lost his access to Samuel. Right? And Samuel was his link to God. So he lost that. And remember, this is what I call PJ. This is pre-Jesus. So you have to think, why would God tell him, first of all, to go utterly destroy the Amalekites? I mean, in my, my version, it uses the word exterminate them. Right. So why would he do that? But one of the things we have to remember is that God's perspective is not like ours. God sees the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know, he, he can see things that we can't. We see right now in this moment. We can theorize what might happen in the future, but we can't really know. But God can. And he was working to get Jesus into the earth. And so he could see the resistance that the Amalekites were going to continue to put up in front of the Jewish people. And so sometimes, though, if you think about it, and we're really honest, we're not that much different from Saul. Because, you know, we make mistakes, and we don't always do what God wants us to. We happen to live in a dispensation of grace right now, right? And we have Holy Spirit inside us if we're believers, and Holy Spirit obviously helps us to, um, to do the things we should. Yet a lot of times we don't really follow God's instructions for our lives. Or we start, and we, we make an effort, and then we kind of don't get there. So as an example, let's say maybe you have a debt that needs to be paid. And God says, go and take care of that debt. And you're like, cool, okay. And then you go and you look at it, and then you look at the amount of money you have, and you think, hmm, how about I get rid of most of this debt? But maybe not all, because if I get rid of all, then I'm not going to have enough to make it through the end of the month. And at the end of the month, I can pick up the rest. Now, what we have done here is sort of like what Saul did, right? Because didn't he say, well, I, followed, I did what he told me to. You know, we got rid of that sort of stuff, and we just saved this stuff. It's a justification, right? You follow most of what God said, and then you justify your actions. This is, this is what happens. And what it often comes down to is a lack of faith on our part. If I pay all that bill... Am I not having enough money? You have to have faith that God's going to take care of you if he told you to do it, right? But a lot of times we fear that lack of money or that we're going to lose some prestige or, or whatever, and so we don't really follow through with what God told us to do. Okay. So returning to the story of Saul, what were the consequences of Saul's action? 
Well, the Amalekites kept trying to destroy the is Israel and work. They were also called the Edomites. So, you know, you, hear, you read about the Amalekites and the Edomites all the way through the Old Testament. Um, the Amalekites allied with others to try to defeat Israel. They attacked Israel in the wilderness, like I was talking about with Moses. And remember Haman in the book of Esther? Yes. He was the official who was plotting, to, um, plotting against the Jews. He was actually a descendant of King Agag, who was spared by Saul. And Samuel did kill him, but this, that was actually one of his, his relatives. So you can see that basically the Amalekites continued to persecute the Jews. The Israelites fought battle after battle against the descendants of, of Esau. And God said that there would always be an enemy to Israel. You don't have to turn there, but in Joel 3.19, it says, Egypt will become a wasteland, and Edom, Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. So Joel basically says that the Edomites will become where they are as a desolate wilderness. They're going to be destroyed at some point. Obadiah said something similar in 110. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, shame will cover you, and you will be eliminated forever. This tells me that God says, you are one of my enemies. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be God's enemy. So, yeah. So through every generation, they seem to have been trying to destroy Israel, either on their own or with other groups of people. So you think, well, okay, so how does this relate to us? Well, first of all, God says he knows the plans he has for us, right? He says that in Jeremiah 29. That's something that a lot of people are very familiar with. And we have to hear his voice and follow his will for us. Because there's that whole perspective thing again, right? God has a better perspective on what's happening than we do. Because I can only see what's really right here and in front of me. I cannot see the big picture. I can't see the future the way God can. I have to trust him when he tells me to do something. Because God knows what we need to do to keep ourselves from harming our own future. So, I mean, let me say that again. God knows what we need to do to keep ourselves from harming our own futures. We can harm our own futures. We can fail to do something that God told us to that will cause us a real serious problem in the future. And I don't know about you, but I have done this. And when that happens and when you miss it, that means it's going to take you longer to get where you were going, right? So we can actually harm our own futures by not following what God tells us to do. And in Proverbs 16.9, in the Passion, it says, Within your heart, you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. God knows the steps that we need to take to get where we should be. However, we often think, I know how to do this. Right? right? I got this. I got this. No, we don't usually have this. Um, even when... 
God tells us things to do, sometimes we might start, but we don't complete the plan that he has for us, which means we miss the mark again. Um, I was thinking about this, and we have a computer lab where our students work. And the computer lab is right here, and in an adjacent room next to it, there is a printer. And every semester, I always tell my students, when you need to print something, it's going to come out on the printer in there. So you'll have to walk in there and get it. But if it doesn't print, don't send it again. And every single semester, I have a student or two or three that I'll see them get up from their, their chair and they go into the next room to the printer and they come back empty-handed. And then a few seconds later, they go back in there. And then they come back to their computer they do something else, and then they go back in there. And about you know, the second or third time, I'm like, do you have a problem with the printer? Uh-huh. Um, OK. Well, what's going on? I don't know. It's not printing. So you go, and you look at the printer, and then you're like, well, how many times did you send it? A few. So you go look at the printer cache, and they've sent it like five or six times. OK, even, even if it started printing, this is going to cause a problem for everyone else. So you have to go clear out the printer cache, and you've got to solve the problem. And so once the problem gets fixed, they move on, right? But it's like, I told you not to do that. I gave you specific instructions. And you still did it. And not only that, they'll do it again in the same semester. They'll do it again. And it's not that they're not hearing me. I don't really know why they do this. But I thought, this is how God must see me. Because he tells me things. He's given me instructions in the Bible. And I mess up over and over again, right? I'm just like my students in the prayer. Keep messing up. And somehow, I, I think I must know better. Or I can just ignore what he's told me to do. Or I can rely on the world to tell me what needs to be done, right? That's, that's a mistake. That's what Saul did. He said, the people wanted to do this. They're the ones. You know, I didn't want to disappoint them. So, so many times we don't actually listen to God, and we don't have the follow-through that we need. But we have access to something that Saul didn't have. You know, we're not, we're not PJ, we're not pre-Jesus. We are actually, when we accept Jesus into our hearts and make him Lord of our lives, we get access to stuff. We get Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives inside me. And in Ephesians 3.17, in the Passion, it says, By constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. I like that. The resting place of his love, his love will become the very source and root of your life. So when we use our faith, it releases Jesus inside us. It releases that love and it... And it's like we, when we use our faith, we get closer to God. There's, you just have more power and you have you know, more obedience and everything just sort of falls in the line when you start using your faith.
And this is really important that we use the, um, the faith of God that's within us. And this seems so elemental, but it's really something that I think a lot of Christians struggle with. Because having that faith and using that faith means I have to turn things over to God. And that can be difficult for a lot of people. Because that means I'm not in charge. And as humans, a lot of times we want to be the ones in charge. But when we put ourselves in charge of our lives, we usually get a big mistake, right? It works out so much better if we will use our faith. And faith gets stronger the more you use it. You know, it's like when you start, um, maybe when you start tithing, and it's really hard in the beginning to give that 10% over and give that check. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And then you can even bump it up and maybe do 11% or 15% or whatever you want to do. But it's like you just get stronger. Same thing if you're using faith for healing. The more you do it, the stronger your faith becomes. And you know, the more confident you are, this is going to happen. Because I've seen it happen before. Your faith grows stronger. And, you know, it, it's great because we can, by using our faith, we can hear his commands. Not just the things in the Bible, but you can hear God talking to you. I mean, you know inside when, what you're supposed to do. And you follow through with it. And it gives us access to his power, too. And his authority. I mean, his authority is an amazing thing that Jesus gave us when he left that we can use that authority and we can change things here in the world. We can call things that be not as if they were. So in Romans 12, 2, it says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So I'm going to take that one and break that down a little bit. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Okay, well, let's think about that. If you're using your faith, and maybe you go ahead and you pay that bill off that God told you to pay, and people look at you and go, wow, you paid that off. And you're like, yep. They say, well, do you have any money left? Nope. And they're like, well, that was a dumb decision. Nope. It wasn't a dumb decision. That's what God told you to do. But you know, the world is not always going to support these things that God tells us to do. They're going to look at them and say, well, that was kind of foolish. And we're going to say, nope, that's what God told me to do, and I have faith that he's going to take care of me. It's really like walking out there, you know? It's like, it looks like it's a drop-off, and you're walking out here, but God is underneath you. He's supporting you when you're doing it. It says, be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. How we think determines our lives. So if you think that the world is right in its system, and that's what you ought to follow, your life is going to turn out very different than if you think God said that he would provide all of my needs. I'm going to believe in that. You can have two radically different outcomes in your life depending on how you're thinking. So, and that's not to say that we're always 
Um, we're always where we need to be with our thinking. We have areas in our lives where we're stronger than others. You know, some people might be really, really great and have their thinking reformed and, you know, just being renewed constantly about healing. But their money might not necessarily be to that point. Maybe they're not as strong in finances. <clears throat> so I think it's what he's basically saying here is we need to constantly be working. If you have an area where you think, mm, I need to work on that, maybe, maybe I don't have as much faith in that area. Maybe we need to go back to the word. Maybe we need to look at those promises that he's given us that we can lean on and say, I choose to believe this. I choose to believe his word and commit those things to memory and say them over and over and that will change how you think. And if we do these things, this verse says this will empower you to discern God's will. That's nice to know, isn't it? If we do these things, we can figure out God's will. That's pretty important. As you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. As you live a beautiful life, a beautiful and satisfying life, it sounds to me like God is promising us that if we will do these things, we will have a great life while we're here. And that's not to say everything will always be perfect. But you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of chaos around us. And I sometimes look and think 2020 must have been really awful for somebody who has nothing that they believe in. Because you can be centered right here and have all this chaos around you, but if, if Jesus is in your life, if God is your focus, you're going to be confident of where you are and what's going on. You know, in, there's a verse in the Bible, I think it's in Psalm 91, that says, Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, none shall, shall come near me. Right. So with all that chaos that's going on, focusing on God and knowing His will and following His commands can make a huge difference in your life. It can make a difference between you're actually surviving and not surviving sometimes. Because we can kind of move through this and not be as impacted as a lot of other people simply because we know God is protecting us and taking care of us and providing our needs. And this last part, it says, as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. To me, that's really important. That I be perfect in his eyes. You know, that he looks at me and says, you got this, girl. You know, I am proud of you. You are exactly what I wanted you to be. That's what I strive for. Don't always make it. He thinks that, but from my side, I see it differently. I wish I could see with his eyes. His perspective, right? And unlike Saul, we know that if we mess up, we can go to God and ask forgiveness. He had a lot of trouble getting Samuel to go worship with him, didn't he? You know, Samuel's like, no, I'm not going to go with you. And he's like, oh, come on, come on, help me. I'll, I'll go worship God. And then he got cut off from God. But if we mess up, we know that we can go and we can say, oh, gee, I totally messed up. Please forgive me. That was wrong. 
And God is so loving and so merciful that he says, sure, okay, we're good. And then it's like it never happened. You know, he, he can totally forget. So because of what Jesus has done for us, then he's ready to forgive us and help us to keep moving forward. If we don't go and ask forgiveness, though, we can't continue to move forward into his will for our lives. So it's real important that we ask the forgiveness. So then he says, sure, let's move on. So forgiveness is a very powerful thing. And it's something that King Saul could not attain, and it left him a very broken man. Yeah. Sometimes I think we forget how, how fortunate we are that we live when we do. Because if you were in the Old Testament, you didn't always have a way to have a relationship with God. But we can do that. We can have a personal relationship with him through Jesus. So that makes, makes it so wonderful and special. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14. I don't, I don't know. If you guys want to turn to that, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. I don't remember which version I have this out of. I suspect it's the passion, but I'm not certain. I didn't make a note. So in Colossians 1, 13, 14, it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We're no longer in the dark. We're in the light. We are in the kingdom of of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if we mess up, if we say, I know what to do here, and we try to take control from God and do it our way, we always can go and say, forgive me, Lord. You know, help me to get back on track. And he always will. And I think this just demonstrates his amazing love for us. You know, not only, not only that he forgives us, but he wants us to move on. He's, he's like our biggest cheerleader. Oh, you know, he's, he is pushing us to do it and go and, and just cheering us on as we are. And when we stumble, we get back up and we get it right. So if you messed up, you can repent and you can get straight with God and then you can move on. Just like my students, once we figure out the problem with the printer and we clear out their printer cache, you know, the print queue gets cleared out, then we, we can all print again and we can all move on. And it's not like the next day they come into class, I'm going to go, yeah, be careful with the printer today because I'm not going to do that. I'm expecting them to remember and then we can all move on. And this is what God wants for us. If you mess up, you know, we have the opportunity, unlike Saul, to get right and to fix it and to move on. 
He's not going to take things away from us the way he did Saul because he loves us and because we have Jesus. So I just thought I would share that with you tonight because some of the consequences of Saul not doing what he was supposed to harmed Israel. But God was able to help them overcome it, just like he had Esther in place when Haman had a plot against the Jewish people. God can always look ahead and provide what we need. But we need to listen to him. So, so if you try to take things into your own hands and you mess up, it's okay. God will forgive you. And he'll get you back on track. And we can get to where we're going. So, anyway. So, let's, let's have a little prayer tonight. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you that you are so merciful and so kind and so forgiving and everything about you is good. And we thank you that when we mess up, if we come to you and ask forgiveness, that you are always faithful to do that. And so, Father, we come tonight and we acknowledge your amazing power. We acknowledge who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And we thank you, Father, that we're able to have a relationship with you and that you're not here to take things away from us. You're here to give things to us. And we thank you for that. And we ask, Father, that we know your will, that we understand better where we're going and how to get there. And so we just come to you and we just acknowledge that you are our God, that you are the source of our supply, that you provide everything that we need. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hope you got something out of that tonight. Um, we will be back on Sunday. I, I believe Pastor will be back then, as far as I know. But um, otherwise, you guys be blessed and have a good week.